Hi, and welcome to Ecolution. I'm James Dunn. I'm 16 years old, and I'm a young environmental activist. I'm part of the Schools Climate Action Network. I'm a beekeeper, and overall, just a lover of the wonderful world that is our home. Over the course of the series, we're going to talk bees, wees, trees, and revolution. What do you think of when someone says the word environment? Well, I want you to try something. Close your eyes. Well, don't if you're cycling your bike or walking in traffic. But if you're inside or outside and in a place that's safe, try it. Close your eyes. Now, just breathe in and listen. What can you hear? Have a sniff. What can you smell? Is there any wind? Can you work out what direction it's coming from? Excuse me. Well, that is your environment. What you can see, what you can hear, feel, touch and taste. All of those things are the environment and you are part of it. When it comes to climate change and the environment, it's easy for us to feel like it's someone else's problem or it might seem too big to do anything about. And this can be tough. But over the next five podcasts, we're going to show you that not only can you do something that makes a difference, if each of us does the best we can, we will be able to change things so we can have a better future. So, what exactly is climate change? For many kids, the first time they heard about it is when Greta Thunberg came to our attention. I'm Luke and I'm 11. My name is Shannon Ryan and I am 10. Who is Greta Thunberg? Greta Thunberg is an environmentalist and she spent a year protesting outside the parliament in Stockholm. What action has she started? She is protesting against people polluting the seas and people polluting the air. How do you feel about the work she's doing? So I think we need to do something about it and she is. I feel like she's doing what's right and she needs to keep doing that if we want to make the world a better place for the next generation. When do you think kids should be heard in their feelings about the environment? The environment isn't going to last much longer if we just keep abusing it the way we are, so... I'd say we should be heard now, whenever we need to be heard. Why do you feel kids like her speak up? Because no one else has been doing it. Adults whose job is to stop global warming or whatever haven't actually been doing much to stop it. I feel like they speak up because they want a better future for themselves and their kids if they were to have any. I know I want to be part of helping fight climate change too. So to explain, when the weather patterns in a region or even across the planet change for an extended period of time, that is climate change. In the past the Earth saw huge climatic changes. When an asteroid hit the Earth 66 million years ago, the dust from the impact blocked out the sun for so long that it meant the dinosaurs died out. But the climate change being talked about now is not as a result of an asteroid. It's because of human action. Everything from driving a car to huge factories generating pollution. From the waste we create to the food on our plate. 
all the decisions we make about how we live our lives and run our world have an impact. And that impact has become so great that we are in danger of making a world that can no longer sustain us. So what can we do to feel more like we can make a difference? Well, one thing would be to connect more with the environment I talked about before. Let's go into the woods. Oh my god! So my name is Lucy O'Hagan and uh, we're sat beneath a gorgeous beech tree in the Phoenix Park today surrounded by all the different colours of nature at the moment. We're in the Phoenix Park today because four years ago I came to the Phoenix Park and had a dream to set up a forest school here. The school where young people come every week to be with nature and to be with each other and to be with themselves. And as a forest school guide, I'm there to facilitate that relationship. My job really is to stand back (laughs) as much as possible in this job um, and to guide children in the woods and to show them some things you know to show them what plants they can eat in the wild to maybe point out a few tracks and to show them the trail but really it's just to stand back and to see what they see and to encourage their relationship and their connection to the land So, is everybody in the circle? What happens in autumn in the forest, guys? You're going to be here for it, so what do you think is going to happen? I think maybe the leaves might fall off the trees. Yes, if there were bears. I already see leaves falling down from the trees. What do squirrels do? What are they doing now? If we go to our camp, they're collecting nuts. And in fact, if you walk through our forest in there, and what will happen, you might find a nut hit you on the head. And if you look up, what do you think you're going to find? A squirrel. A squirrel. And he's probably going to be laughing at you. They love throwing nuts on our heads in. Well, I'm going to punch them on the bum. <laughs> if you can catch a squirrel, I'd be massively impressed with that. Massively. My name is Kuan. I am eight. And I love forest school. My favourite thing is... Riding on the swing, or should I say swinging on the swing. Whoa! This is actually quite relaxing. I am talking to myself. I'm trying to solve the climate change. So one of the principles of Forest School is that learners are engaged and supported to take risks. Um, so the risks in forest school, they could people would understand those to be playing on a swing or climbing a tree really like high or using a knife, using tools. There's lots of risky play because when you learn to take risks in an appropriate and a supported way, you learn a lot about yourself. Uh, I'm Sam and I just... I lunch, and I also did a knife class here. I've been in forest camp for four years. My mum just said, do you want to go to forest camp? And I did. 
Yeah, it feels nice when you're just lying on the ground, looking up to the wilderness. Well, I've been in forest camp also for four years, and I just love four and a half years. And I just love carving and loving and going around, and the nature's really nice and beautiful. So we're just carving knives now. So we're using these knives, and they're very, very sharp. Basically carving it and doing what we want with it. Make whatever we want, like tent pegs, butter knives, spoons, those kind of things. I was carving sticks into an unknown shape. My name is Shane and I'm seven. I'm terrified of this thing. My favourite thing about both is tying knots. And I also like searching for branches for bone hours. My name is Gloria and my age is five and I'm nearly six. I made a den out of sticks. So I like twigs, big sticks and also like logs. My favourite thing that I learned is the timber hitch. At the very start of camp we will tie a knot and then we will like use it to climb down the slope and up again. Today I saw baby deer on the way. I can't really remember what they're called. My favourite thing is that I found that I could do things that I didn't think I could do in forest school. So there's a reason I chose the Phoenix Park. There's a huge amount of biodiversity here. There's badgers that come through our site every day, stags, deer, uh, foxes. We can hear the sparrowhawks breeding in the summer. We've spotted owls. Um, yeah, so in terms of what it offers us in terms of the, the natural world and those more than human beings that live here. So cool. Oh, they're coming down. Oh, oh my. They're coming down. Oh, my. Guys, we're here and they'll run. Oh, they look like giant bambies. We're so, at in Phoenix Park at a river valley, and there's lots of trees in the forest, and there's a little stream going by, and then there's a very huge hill that is very hard to climb. Well, you can climb the hill, but yeah. then it's hard to get down because you have to slide with your bum bum. And then you get your bum wet. Hi, my name is Salome, and I'm 10 years old. My name is Alice, and I'm 9 years old. Um, we went and we saw this badger set. Um, we didn't actually see the badger. badgers, but we saw the house. We identified yeah. the, that it was a badger set by picking up the hairs and pulling and at them. Pulling it. See if it's far. My name is Sab and I'm eight. You can tell, right? You can yeah. tell the hairs by pulling them. And also they're black and white, you can say. Yeah. How. If you pull them and they're really hard to break. Yeah, really hard and they're to hard break, to break. It's... And if you pull them and it's not hard to break, it's it's deer. Also today I went in a tunnel with lots of water in it. Oh yeah, I went into that one the first time I came here. It's so dark. Did you go to the end? And we also collected little pieces of wood for the fire. And we saw saw little uh, um, uh, deer beds. And we we found this weird gooey transparent stuff which is very nice. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's some kind of... Yeah, it's like transparent gooey. It has weird kind of maybe sticky, outy dots. Kind of like bumpy dots. Yeah, and it 
jiggles. Yeah, like jelly. And when you poke it, oh, Alice, it doesn't come off. I, I feel very like safe to touch things here. I was touching some poo. There are so many people, and I mean people being young, old, um, who don't have this access to nature when they live in the city. You know, they might live in apartments, they might not have a garden, their interaction with nature might be a tree outside their window. So we're kind of creating this space so that everybody has that opportunity to feel that belonging in nature of which they are a part. I can see a branch moving. And the branch is moving? Is she asking you into the forest? Have we got permission? In that case, let's go to camp. This is a nature table. Blackberries, rowan berries, pine cones and grass. If you ate rowan berries, you would get sick. We're just going foraging for berries. Oh, can I go foraging with you, please? Actually. I see some blackberries over there. So if they're pink, that means they're not ready. So if they're lovely and blackish coloured, that means they're ready. We find blackberries and... If we're lucky, raspberries. And we find mushrooms as well. Once I tried a raw blackberry, like when it was red, and I mushed it up into jam with gooseberries from our garden, and and then it tasted delicious. My sister nearly ate it all before we could show our mom. We made it on our own. Did you know that nettles' um, stalks will never break? Unless you bend them in half. If you pull them, you can make ropes out of nettles. But they can be pretty dangerous because they're pretty sharp. I learned that here last year. How do you get out into nature? There's so many different ways. And so I would say to do what feels right for you. So that might be to, you know, go to your local park and just start to look around you to start to identify what what else lives here. You know, what trees can I see? What plants? um, What track is that on the ground? And that you can find those in the city as well you know if you just step over a muddy puddle and spend five minutes looking at who's passed through there before you or you know even in the cracks of the pavement the plants will still grow so there's so much of nature all around us if you look up into the sky you might notice the birds that come to your window or put up a garden bird feeder even and just see who visits because it'll be much more than just birds And I often find that in cities, really, like, there's such a huge diversity of life that moves through the cities and is drawn to those places. Slow down, stop, breathe in the air, and um, ask loads of questions, like, awaken your curiosity. Ecolution. What does that mean? RTE Junior Radio. That sounds like something I want to do. What about you? Check out wildawake.ie to learn more about the forest camp. Well, one thing that Lucy and the kids spoke about there was biodiversity. And who better to explain how important that is than our resident doctor, Dr Shane. Hi, my name is Dr Shane McGuinness and I'm a conservation biologist. I spent a lot of time in Africa dealing with some very endangered species like mountain gorillas. But I also looked at the poor people living right next to these protected areas that don't have very much to live on. 
I've been tasked here today to talk about some pretty difficult concepts in a very short space of time. So let's see how I got on. Okay, well, the word biodiversity is a really complicated one. It sounds very scary, but in actual fact, it's really simple. I know a lot of people use it, but most people don't actually understand what it means. I want you to think or visualize or picture a, a wristwatch um, that you might wear on your wrist. Now inside, there's lots of different moving parts. Some of them are big, some of them are small. They move all together and they eventually tell the time accurately. I don't know how that works. I know that if I opened up the back of my watch, there'll be lots of different parts and they're all moving and they're all telling me the time. I know that if I take out one or two or three of those parts, it might not tell the time accurately. If I take out enough of those parts, it might not tell the time at all. It might stop, it might go blank. That's what biodiversity is, because nature is made up of lots of different moving parts all working together to make your clean air, to filter your water, to pollinate your plants, to give you apples in the autumn. But I know that if I remove enough of those bits of nature, it might not tell the time right. In other words, it might not work correctly or it might stop working entirely. And hopefully we're not there yet, but we might in the future. So we need to be careful. The example in Ireland I might give of this is the insects that used to cover your car when you drove down the country. Your windscreen would be covered on all these squished insects and you'd have to use the wipers to clean your glass. That doesn't really happen anymore nowadays because our farmlands are now being sprayed clean, our wetlands are now being drained and are being made clean and tidy and pristine. But the problem with that is it's removing some of those moving parts. It's removing some of those bits of the watch in behind. And because of that, some of the birds that might have eaten those insects aren't around anymore because they have nothing to eat. Some of those insects would have pollinated your strawberries or your apples. So because of those losses, those removing of those little bits in nature, we're losing so much more than we ever thought before. Thanks, Doc. Let's continue with the watch analogy. One of the most important parts of the watch, one that, if we're removed, would mean that the watch would never work again, is a part that buzzes. So let's buzz off to see my bees. Hi guys, we're here in St Michael's College where they have a really exciting project. They have bees in their school. Students are given the opportunity to get up close and personal and get hands-on with the beekeeping. To get in with the bees, we have to put on these big suits with nets in front of our faces and they cover our whole body just in case the bees try to sting us, which hasn't really happened. How you doing? I'm Robbie O'Flynn. I teach the lads and was involved in bringing that beehives into St Michael's. We were doing a project on biodiversity for the green schools, so um, we saw the project that was there, but we thought we'd be a bit more ambitious and uh, try to do something a bit more different. To get going, it took a bit of work because people were worried about the bees and the students and getting stung and everything. But we, uh, we, we played on through and two years later they're up and flourishing and no one's been stung. We're about six foot from them. Uh, there's hives, seven hives around us and if you're not attacking them they'll only defend. You're quite safe. My name is James Queen, and I've been in green schools for the past three years. We never really handled anything like this before and we were the first school in Ireland to allow students to uh, handle the bees and look after them and everything. In terms of cost, it was high because um, we wanted to get the students involved. So instead of buying one suit, we decided to make the policy of trying to buy ten so we could bring people out here. We've bought a lot of stuff. We've got seven hives here and we have uh, ten suits. You can get a hive for around 200 euros. 
I've got a smoking device in my hand which basically moves the bees out of the way whenever we have to use any of the other tools that the other James has. The smoke basically creates a natural instinct where they would collect uh, as much honey as they could and move because they think that the forest is burning again and it's just basically our survival of the fittest. What we're currently seeing now is quite a lot or quite a group of bees just around the place there. Um, They've collected a lot of wax from trees and as we can see in a second here when uh, Mr. Flynn lifts the separator we'll be able to see all the honeycombs and the frames where we collect the honey and the wax from. What we're lifting here is the queen excluder and this keeps the queen bee down in the bottom part of the hive. There's only ever one queen per hive. She's bigger than the other bees but she's a bit more streamlined so she looks a bit more like a racing car than uh, the other bees. Drones are also, which are male bees, are quite big, but they're quite fat. The, the, the queen is very sleek. At a different age, bees have different jobs. We can see some bees here are tending to, to capped brood, and capped brood are unborn bees. So they're looking after them, making sure they're fed, and uh, looking after the queen. They're also, uh, one of their jobs is to keep the hive warm. So all through the summer and winter, they keep it at 37 degrees. No matter how cold it is uh, outside, that's one of the main functions of the the worker bees uh, in a hive. They keep it warm by flapping their wings. Other bees during the summer will be scout bees, and they'll be going out to find uh, nectar and pollen and all this sort of stuff. Then other bees will be guard bees. They'll they'll actually protect the doors of the hive from... uh, robbing other bees from other hives or wasps trying to rob their honey. But the queen, during the middle of the summer, would lay in around 2,000 eggs a day. Basically, when we apply the smoke, they instantly move out of the way, which makes it easier for us to use our tools to extract uh, the frames with the honey and everything. I haven't been stung yet, anyway. I've never been stung, and also the smoke um, helps us to calm down the bees, so they, they, um, they feel more relaxed. In a hive during the summer, you could have about 60,000 bees per hive. A bee uh, will start its life um, as an egg that the queen lays, and it uh, takes about four days before that egg will become into what we call brood, and it then takes that brood in around 24 to 27 days to hatch and become a bee itself. The queen will take a little longer than that, males and females. Uh, Females are about 24 days, males are about 27 days. The majority of bees in any hive will be female uh, and they do the most amount of work. Males are just there to reproduce and the queen will actually decide whether she's going to lay a female or a male egg. A bee will live uh, during the summer. If it's working all day, it will live in around four to five weeks. It will work itself to to death. A worker bee during the winter will actually live about about eight months. It will survive the winter. But then a male bee will be born in the start of the summer. They'll all die out by the end of the summer. So they live about three to four months. But your female worker bee during the summer will typically live for about four to five weeks and she'll work herself to death. I feel that bees help the huge part of the environment. You know, they help pollinate flowers which 
could then lead to more fertile land and of course that helps with crops and all that kind of stuff and also there are dying out species and there's only I think one hive in the entirety of Ireland that is run on its own other than that bees must rely on beekeepers yeah we are part of the problem and solution Uh, bees are wholly reliant now on humans for survival a wild hive could last a year maybe two but it will die out of disease Uh, so we're hugely reliant on them, but they're hugely reliant on us now. So you try to recruit as many people as possible to help out with the highs because, of course, the more the better. The bees play such a huge, important role in our ecosystem. Theory say it, that we'd have about two to three years to live if we lost the bees because they're so vital to our food chain and to the overall survival of humans. Well, overall, it's been really, really exciting to be in here and to be given the chance to access the bees here in St. Michael's College. It really is a special and exciting experience that students get to encounter in their student life in the school. I really do think that what they are doing to help with biodiversity is vital. So, that's that. All that buzzes deserves to be minded. Maybe you could talk to your teacher about getting a hive in your school. Or, failing that, why not try to find another way to mind the biodiversity in your area? From building a bee hotel to planting flowers. Some kids in Dublin City showed us how they've helped. My name's Katie. I'm 10 years old. My name is Brooke and I'm 10. I live in Summerhill. Um, I come down here to the canal because it's fun. The Adventure Project, it's a club that they do for kids every Wednesday at 6 o'clock till half 8 and it's all about doing your adventures and climbing mountains and all and it's very good. And sometimes we go to the beach and what we used to get in the canal. Seed bombs are where you get soil and it is kind of like board seeds. Our leader, Zara, came in and she just told us and explained to us what they are and said that we just need help to save the bees and make more flour because at the time they were like dying we need bees because when they take the pollen out of the middle of the flower they take seeds and then when they're flying around when they're done eating the pollen they spit out all of their seeds and then that helps that helps grow more little flowers and stuff it makes the environment look prettier the first thing you need for a seed bomb is some soil some flower seeds and that's it we got, got a big, a big bag, bag of soil in front of us. When you look at compost or if you look at any of that, like it kind of just, um, you just kind of see like, is there any like bugs or anything in it? Or cat Or cat poo. So you want to get a handful of big soil and squish it until it's in a ball. So it feels kind of all soggy and wet. It feels like, do you know when you're at the beach and there's soggy sand? I have a ball of muck now. So now you're going to go and get your seed flowers. Flower seeds. If you don't have any flower seeds, you can just go to a local shop and they'll get some. You get a plate and roll it around in it, or else if you don't have a plate, you can just get a handful of them and then just start squeezing them into the soil. You know when it's ready when you can't see the seeds anymore and they're all stuck to it. So now that it's done, we're going to find this, just a plain spot and throw it. Now I'm going to throw mine. So when it lands on the ground, it just sits there in the grass or wherever you're throwing it. And then that in a, probably a couple of months or weeks, it's going to be a lovely flower. Kids can make a difference too. If you do it one day, what flowers do you think you'll grow?
you do be happy when you see them and all and just coming home and you see loads of flowers is just nice. Brilliant. Every small step is a step in the right direction. Join us next time on Ecolution when we look into the problem of waste. Don't be late. Come on, guys, it's my first show. Ecolution was produced by Nikki Cochran for RTE Junior Radio. Most of the material recorded for this podcast was gathered on a bike.